Hi there. Tuesday evenings are for talking technology. And yes, on 97.3 City FM, that's exactly what we do. We talk tech. You're welcome to City Trends. City Trends is sponsored by First National Bank. How can we help you? And of course, coming up on the show today... Uh, there's one business we went to 50 times in a single year. <laughs> it's because you go on Monday, you tell you come on Wednesday. You go on Wednesday, the person is not there. Come on Friday, you go on Friday 50 times. And we still didn't get it. <laughs> but it took us 50 times to say, okay, you know, let's take a break and then continue to focus elsewhere. And so, wow. I think that's one of the things that's tough, trying to read between the lines very early on to figure out when a client is serious or you believe that you can convince a client and where when you can incredible conversations coming your way but then you can be a part of the discussion by simply doing this share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the whatsapp number 054-998-6996 tweet at us using hashtag city Right, so it's another Tuesday evening on 97.3 City FM. And of course, you know it is time for us to have some very engaging conversations. Over the last couple of weeks, we have touched on everything from agri-tech to edutech and everything else in between. Today, it is now time for us to look into the fintech space and look at some of the leaders within that space. And uh, one who stands pretty tall um, is Curtis. Curtis, thank you so much. Curtis Vanderpoy is the CEO and um, um, lead flag owner of Express Pay, everybody's favorite app. People actually um, talk about how easy it is to do mobile money transfers, but they would prefer to do it on Express Pay just because you know it just works much better. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me, Philip. It's always a pleasure. Charlie Curtis, I mean. Uh, how how do you feel sometimes when you read on Twitter or on other social media platforms or um, people sending their reviews about you know the, the the software or the application or the solution that you built? How how does it make you feel? I love it, and not just for myself. Most of the time, when these things come up, I actually send it to the team and congratulate the team because the team makes this happen, right? It's not just uh, a single individual. It's a whole team that's behind the scenes working on different aspects to make sure we continue to offer a stellar service, a stellar solution to our customers. So we definitely love it. One of the interesting ones uh, is usually when people meet me personally and they actually log into the app and show me their transactions. That always cracks me up. But it's not just me, myself, my partners, we all experience it. And it gives us joy to know that we sort of achieved some of what we, we believed we could do. And we know there's so much more we can do, but in terms of solving people's problems, making people's lives a little easier by making these transactions seamless, we've kind of done that. And so it makes us proud as well. So what what was what was it like starting off ExpressPay? I mean, I understand obviously you, 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 you love the idea of building businesses and a tech business of that. But I mean, I'm sure there was, there was something that, that got you to start off Express Pay in, in the first place. To be honest, it was just the hassle of 
making these what you now see as simple payments, right? I think I've said this before where I personally experienced that trying to make a payment uh, many years ago, uh, spent a lot of time in traffic, got there, uh, was at a bank actually and queued in to get to the front of the queue only to be told the system was down. Um, and the thought was if the bank has a way to access the service, I think it was Ghana what's at the time I was trying to pay for, then there's a way to make this possible and allow people to do it from home without having to go anywhere. It wasn't uncommon to have people walk to a bank, take out money from the ATM outside the banking hall, and then walk into the banking hall, queue up, and then make that payment. And we, myself and my partners, thought that it had to be a better way. And so we decided to put our heads together and start to, to make this possible because the solutions were there, but no one was piecing it all together, bringing it all together to put a solution in our customers' hands. Now, granted, it seems simple now, but it was, it was tough. We thought it would be a lot easier than it turned out to be. We thought it would be a no-brainer walk into a business telling them that, hey, we want to make it possible for your customers to pay you, whether it's a holiday, whether it's Saturday, whether it's nighttime, whenever. One, it's very easy for your customer, right? Because it's so convenient. But two, for you as a business as well, you technically will make more revenue, you'll make more revenue faster. We thought that would be a, a no-brainer conversation, but we were in for a shock. But it's worked out in the end. Uh, there are still obviously lots of businesses we are trying to bring on board, uh, but we are glad that the industry is where it is today. Um, there's been a lot of work uh, that's been put in, not just by companies like Express Bay, but as an industry as a whole, as we try and drive more digital transactions, try to move people away from cash to digital, because it's more efficient and ultimately it's cheaper. Walk us through some of some of those um, um, pitfalls that you had to, you know, some some of them you avoided clearly, and some of them I'm guessing you fell flat on your face with. Tell us about some of those pitfalls and, and some of the lessons that you picked up from from those experiences building extra speed towards this today. So I don't know whether it would have seen this as a pitfall, but maybe it is. Um, we were relentless. We never stop chasing. And so we would go and see a business and go back and go back and go back. And people will tell you Ghanaians don't know how to say no. And in some cases, it's true, right? As you go more mature, you kind of learn to read between the lines a little more, right? Where you can tell when something is not really going to happen. But being younger then and being sort of so determined and focused, I think that was a good thing. But it meant that we spun our wheels in certain cases, right? Where you are chasing a business, going to the business many, many times. Uh, there's one business we went to 50 times in a single year, right? Because you go on Monday, you tell you come on Wednesday. You go on Wednesday, the person is not there, come on Friday, you go on Friday. That's three times. 50 times. I kid you not. Myself and Kojo, one of my partners, Kojo Hesse, one of my partners. Uh, between the two of us, we visited that company 50 times and we still didn't get it. <laughs> but it took us 50 times to say, okay, you know, let's take a break and then continue to focus elsewhere. And so, wow, I think that's one of the things that's tough, trying to read between the lines very early on to figure out when a client is serious or you believe that you can convince a client and where, when you can't. Um, for some businesses that came on later on, and some business took two years, more than two years to bring them on. We asked uh, them why it took so long. Because once they came on, it was like a no-brainer. And they were like, oh, we should have done this sooner. And we were like, we know. We've been telling you. We have been telling you. So why didn't it happen sooner? Um, one person said they thought that we would give up. As an example, right? When you have young people trying to start these businesses, as an established business, you want to be sure that it's a 
solid solution is going to be around for a while. And they thought we would give up. And it's one of those things. People come and pitch it. They seem serious for a little bit and then they just fizzle away. So there were a whole bunch of um, situations like that uh, where you had to, we, it took us time to learn, be, learn how to read between the lines and figure out what opportunities were invested more time in and when is it okay to, to go away. One of the things we always told ourselves in chasing business was the worst the person would say is no. So go get it. The person says no, they said no, but that's the worst that would happen, nothing else, right? But it was, it's been a, an exciting journey. It's been tougher than we thought it would be, but we love where we are now. Um, and we know there's so much more we, that's, that's, that's possible to achieve. We barely scratched the surface. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into um, what lies underneath the surface in a bit. But, you know, one of the things that you just talked about that I, I found really fascinating was people actually telling you that they thought you would say no. And, you know, what, what, what that means for, um, you know, tech solution providers today, people, startups, you know, people are trying to start, um, who, are, who are trying to build a business or a solution and they keep hearing no. I mean, like you said, it took you some time to figure out how to read it between the lines. But, you know, where, where, where exactly do you draw the line between knowing when to just back off and pursuing it? Because at the end of the day, there are some businesses that still came on board because you pursued. But then it's interesting that, you know, for some of them, you had to chase them for 50 times in a year, but then still didn't get the business. How, how do you manage knowing when to draw the line and when to move on to the next client as, as sometimes you did? To be honest, it was subtle and it took us a long time to figure it out. And even now, there are still opportunities we will chase because we think they are large enough that it's worth putting in the time, even though maybe you may believe the probability of it being successful is not as high as you would like. It's a hard one. I can't, I can't, pinpoint to say exactly how you do it. Because I think culturally, we, we don't like being overly direct, all right? And especially when someone has met you fairly early, they wouldn't tell you no outright. And when you're young as well, I think to some extent, the older folks you may be meeting feel like they need to be sort of almost like you're young, they don't want to disappoint you. But to be honest, it's better for everybody they told you flat out that this is not going to work. Um, whether you believe it or not is another matter, right? Because we, we have cases where some people told us that, you know what, if you were our kids, we would, and this is when we were much younger, if you were our kids, we would have told you, we would tell you to give up this opportunity. But we didn't believe that. And so it's a, it's a tough one, but I think it'd be best if people could be quite honest and let people know when it's not going anywhere. But ultimately, remember, when you are starting out like that, you are really selling, right? So as an entrepreneur, you are very confident and you really believe in your solution and you see it as it's crystal clear in your mind and you are trying to convey that clearness to that potential customer, that potential client, right? And so your job is to sell and convince the person. And because you believe in the solution so much, it might be tough to also try and understand why the person doesn't think it makes sense or the person doesn't want to do it. And it was baffling. I think that's tough. And I think it will come with time. I don't think there's a silver bullet for figuring it out. The, the one thing which, I, which, hmm? which, which of the two meant more to you um, as the leader of the team, the technology or the, the way the, the community or the, 
the rest of us saw the saw the saw the business. And that is, I mean, the marketing side of it. Which one was more important to you at the start? And sitting down now and looking back, do you think you made the right decision in terms of which one you wanted to focus on more? No, so that is an easy one for me because the reason people love the service is because it always works. And it always works because of the engineering that has gone into the product because it's a technical solution. So you need to have a killer solution. So it's a reliable solution. It's a solid solution that works for people. And so starting out, you need to build an excellent product. You, you shouldn't rush out. You, you don't go market something you don't have, right? So you need to spend the time to actually build a solid, solid product before you start to focus on Pushing, pushing it. So when we started, you know, I have three other partners. So it's Kojo Hesse, uh, Will, William Tete, and Kwe Hesse. Uh, it was all hands on deck. We were all developing and so on. But at some point, obviously, you need to start to talk to clients. And so we had to make a decision at some point to start to shift, split the, the, the work we needed to do to focus separately on various aspects of the business. But starting out, it should be all hands on deck, really creating that product. Um, Obviously, there's some overlap at some point between getting the product ready and talking to clients, um, but you need to make sure your product is solid before you go out there and sell it. Once you have a solid product, then you need to continue to, obviously, you're going to, the product is a living thing, right? It's not a static thing. It's not an object you've manufactured and it's out there and someone takes it and consumes it. For the, these tech solutions, it's a, almost like a living organism. You are continuing to refine, you're continuing to innovate, you're continuing to perfect it. You're continuing to improve it. You're continuing to solve other problems for people. Uh, you may pivot in some cases. So that engineering cycle continues, but obviously at some point you need to then be marketing so that the product can start to make the business revenue. And then that also picks up. And that marketing is not necessarily easy. I mean, there's no silver bullet, right? In trying to uh, make a solution go viral. Today, you meet a lot of people who use ExpressPay, but it's taking a lot of effort, a lot of time uh, to, to get here. Now, one of the things that I'm guessing was quite a big, quite a, quite a hurdle, you've, you've spoken about it briefly a few minutes ago, is getting the buy-in also from not just, you know, the customers who are going to use the product, but then businesses as well. Um, for, for, the, for the solution that you developed, clearly for us, the consumers, it was a no-brainer. It was fantastic. We loved it. But uh, it was quite a struggle, I'm guessing, getting other businesses to buy into you know, the vision and, you know, sticking with the solution that you have provided. What were some of the lessons that you, you, you picked up over the period, dealing with businesses, selling the idea to businesses, getting them to come on board and then moving with the product as they are doing now? So it's interesting. The way you put it is a very interesting way, but I want to even address the consumers first. So Philip, fortunately, we have people like you who are early adopters, were very progressive. It made sense straight away. You wanted to try it. And we do have a proportion of the population that's like that. But we had a lot of consumers who were skeptics and even today probably still the same, right? Who are not sure, hmm, I'm not sure about putting my Visa card into this app. Who made this app? Am I sure my money is not going to disappear? Are they going to steal my card? You know, all of those concerns were there. And some people still have those concerns. And so even with the consumers, it wasn't a walk in the park. And we had to try and focus on trying to get as many of people like yourselves who were progressive, saw it, it made straight sense, you trusted the solution and were keen to start to use it. 
and build up our base, starting with that base and then getting other people on over time, right? Other consumers who were not as convinced or were skeptical. Now, what I always see, which is interesting, which I find very interesting, the skeptical bunch are your strongest advocates once they start using the solution. As in the, the customers who are initially skeptical, and I have friends like that, right? And so it's quite funny because I always remind them, but they are your our strongest supporters. Once they start using it, that's it. And it's funny trying to see someone who was somewhat skeptical in the beginning, trying to convince someone who is now skeptical, right? Because they also don't understand why the person doesn't want to believe them and try it. But fortunately for us, one of the things that was big for us is word of mouth. Because people love the product, they started talking about the product. They started telling their friends about Express Pay, right? So if someone wanted to pay for, say, DSTV, oh, why don't you use Express Pay? Or someone needed to get airtime where they're going out to go and buy credit. Oh, just use Express Pay. And that's how it worked for us. Word of mouth was so, was so powerful and still is so powerful. It's, it's still, I like to say, it's our biggest uh, uh, driver of growth in terms of acquiring new users and so on. Word of mouth works better than all the other um, uh, marketing options that we, we tend to use. So that's what we find. It has a strong connection and so on. And it's easier for people to get on board it because of word of mouth, because a friend told them about it or a family member told them about it. In terms of the, the businesses, um, it was tough. And for services like us, for products like Express Pay, essentially we have to solve a B2B problem first before we can offer a B2C solution. And the B2B problem is we need to go and convince that business that it makes sense for the business to be on Express Pay. It makes sense to enable their service on Express Pay so their customers can access or pay them very easily or access their services very easily. And so that's always the first hurdle. And that's, nev that's never been um, easy. Obviously these days, because we are more known, um, it's gotten a little better because fortunately for us, in some cases, the decision maker already uses Express Pay, right? So they get it right away. But back then you had to convince them. And what we found was sometimes the management of the clients got it and bought into it. But obviously you have to work with the rest of the organization to bring them along. And for some of the larger companies, there was a lot of bureaucracy as well. Lots of things you had to jump through uh, before you could get onboarded. And so that was always a challenge. And I think it's still a challenge. The B2B problem is different from that B2C problem. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately for us, we've taken a problem or taken a, taken a challenge that requires us to solve both. Um, and uh, we, we are still pushing at, at that. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend. Let's let's go back a bit. Um, and listeners, you are still tuned into City Trends on 97.3 City FM. We're having a conversation with Curtis Vanderpoel. I'm sure you have used his product before. The product is called Express Pay. It makes life much easier for people who want to make payments. Um, if you haven't used it before, please go and download it because it's it's like it makes life like ice cream. But anyway, Curtis, let's go <laughs> I like that. <laughs> let's let's go back a bit into the beginning, into the genesis of all of this. And you know, for from where you come from, from training, from school and everything, um, tell us some of the things that influenced you to choose the path that you've chosen you know just for, in case you know we have some young um, tech startup 
you know, people who are listening, who want to know exactly how you got to where you are. Was it just the academics or was it a lot of tinkering around? Or what exactly was that, that, that got you into that space where you, you got into the, the position to even create a solution in the first place? So, so for me personally, I've always been, I always knew I wanted to be an engineer growing up. I always liked to tinker with stuff. So I always had that sort of mindset of trying to understand how things work. Take the outside that child, some parents don't like, right? Because you take things apart, right? Take things apart and try and put it together. And so, well, take it apart to understand what's going on inside and then try and put it together. But I would say from an entrepreneurship perspective, it was really at the university level. Um, the, for tertiary education, there were several courses and there were several people who had gone ahead of us because um, myself and some of my, my co-founders went to MIT who had gone off to start these businesses. And so there was an aspect of the training there where we thought about solving problems. Well, it's all about as an engineer trying to solve a problem, but thought about coming up with solutions and going the entrepreneurial routes to get the solution out there. And I think for me, that's where my interest was peaked the most from going to start a business perspective, for me personally. Um, traditionally, I'd have initially just thought I was going to end up being, I was a mechanical engineer, so I, I would have thought I'd have been a mechanical engineer. Um, but uh, through university, I started to sort of enjoy that entrepreneurship bit a bit or try to understand or try to got a better appreciation for the fact that even beyond that engineering solution, it's about getting the product out there to the world. And the way some alumni had done it was to create companies to get their solutions out there. And so I had that interest. And so even for grad school, I started doing a combination of courses that had a leaning towards understanding business. Um, and then instead of being a hardcore engineer, I realized I felt like I had a strong engineering background, but I didn't know enough about business. And so my first uh, full-time job was in management consulting where I wanted to really learn about business and try to understand business a, a lot more. And so combining that with engineering, all of those led to trying to solve a, solve a problem. And myself and my co-founders were interested in coming back home to solve our problems. We have lots of things we need to solve within the country. And I've always believed that it's up to us as Ghanaians to pick ourselves up and figure out how we come up with solutions to our very own, own challenges. And so fortunately the stars aligned and we all sort of bought into this idea and said, hey, let's let's take a stab at this. And then we, we came down to take a stab at it. I would say this was not the first venture I tried. Um, whilst I was, um, I tried other companies as well that didn't quite work out, not fully. I was doing them on the side, Galam Say style, <laughs> um, and tried to get those to work, but they didn't really take off, but it didn't, mm stop me from still thinking about uh, pursuing a, an idea like this. And so I was so excited about this idea, I, I quit and then moved down to work on it uh, with my partners. It's, it, it still remains one of the big questions for people, for a lot of people in the diaspora where you know, they need to make a choice whether to come down and start. You know, there are a lot of conversations, for example, about understanding what the local market actually is like, you know, there are, there, are, there are struggles, for example, with how much of what you've learned you need to hold on to, how much of what you've learned you need to let go of because the environment is different. How, how did you navigate those very, very choppy waters? I'm sure they are. 
So it was interesting and frustrating to some degree because coming back, you feel as Ghanaian as anybody else. But to be honest, there were times where we felt like we were being seen not as full Ghanaians because you went out there and you have these ideas and you believe you can come and solve these problems. And so that was a bit tough. Um, in fact, one of the things, you know, talking about some businesses um, not listening or not, not being eager to get going right away. One person at some point said they wanted to wait for the ice to melt <laughs> as, a, as an example, right? Of um, when, how long it took them or what made them finally decide, okay, let's give this a shot. That, that, that must have been annoying to hear, I'm sure. But, but you can't say anything, right, Philip? <laughs> you want the business. <laughs> <laughs> You want the business, so you take it and then, but you learn from it because we didn't think that way. But over time, you, you kind of got a sense that there was some of that and you, you needed to know how to navigate. Sometimes some people come back and it's really in a too known way, like too known as we call it in Ghana, right? Where the guy is too known. We feel like you have all the solutions, right? It's not that easy. It's not that simple. And it takes, there's some sort of balance in having that confidence and being humble enough to understand what everybody else is thinking and saying or the attitudes and so on. And then working through to figure out what will work best. It wasn't trivial. Um, I, I would say it took us a while to essentially become more fully immersed. And some people may even still say that we still are quite, um, we're, we're quite, um, I'm looking for the right word to use here, but some of those influences you still see in the way we carry out ourselves and some of the decisions we make. But it's okay. I think it's a balance. And you need to, each individual, we need to figure out how to work through that balance. The one that everybody experiences is, you know, when people come down on holidays. So right now, because I've been here for a long time, I can put my friends in their place. You know, when they come down on holidays and then they point out, point out A, B, C, D, and so on. And I always like to turn it on its head, which is not just to complain about it, What's the solution? How would you solve it, right? And then in solving it, it's not a single response. It's a layered response because these are not, if they were simple, would have solved them, everyone would have solved them already, right? But having an appreciation for, for the challenge and figuring out how to solve it. Some of them, I guess we all get frustrated. There's some things that we think should be common sense and we should all figure out, but we still don't, right? But it's still a journey we are, we are, we are taking as a nation and we have to figure out how we address all of these challenges over time. There's no, there's no simple answer for you for the problem. This one. No, I, I, I never really expected a simple answer. I, I can completely appreciate how complicated that would be because I mean, clearly, um, you know, there's a work ethic that you would want to stick to and have as a culture of the business. But then, you'd also, you're also minded about balancing that with. Um, the sort of talent that you're going to hire, because obviously you're going to hire talent locally. Um, and, you know, this talent has a certain socialization um, and they come at work from a certain standpoint. And um, it, it can sometimes be a challenge. It has been a challenge. I've experienced it myself personally. And so I can imagine for you, someone building a business with a certain, coming at it from the perspective that you are coming at it from and trying to sort of get a group of people to believe in that same dream, number one, and the work ethic as well that is needed to carry it out. I can imagine what sort of um, loopholes you needed to, um, you know, jump through and, and make your way through. But coming back to, you know, service, 
one of the things that stands out with your product is is customer service. People compliment you on Twitter all the time about how you readily, like even if you call at 1 a.m. or you have an issue at 1 a.m., you know, by 105 or 115, you have a call from extra space. How did you, how were you able to get um, people, the people that you work with and the people that, you know, you, you work through to be able to offer that level of service on such a consistent basis? Yeah, and so that's one of the very positive influences from being in the U.S., to be honest, for us. Um, the U.S. is great at customer service, uh, generally. And we learned, we had personal experiences ourselves in the U.S. with various products, where even if it's a product, physical product, you bought it as an issue, they really talk to you on the phone, the quick response, quick turnaround and replacing that product. And we wanted to make sure our product stood out here in Ghana. And so on that, we were relentless in sort of training our people, getting our team to understand why it was important and to continue that. That it wasn't a single, um, wasn't a single sort of metric. It wasn't a single standard that you set and then you leave it. And I think it's continuous training, but over time I would say our customer experience team appreciates it and they understand it. And we like the, the feedback they get. Customer service is a very hard job. A lot of people underestimate the fact that essentially you're dealing with human beings who have all sorts of problems. So even though you're, trying, you're calling about your particular problem, you may have other frustrations as well. And sometimes you pull, you pull it out, or you let it all out on the person on the other end of the line. And they have to be patient. They have to make sure they know it's not emotional, calm, try and respond to your, your problems and so try and respond to the, the issue at hand. And so that's one thing we try not to compromise on. And we have to keep at it. Uh, we have to we keep thinking about ways to improve training. If the service calls in terms of call quality is going down, we thought we changed systems and so on. It's something we, we continue to pay attention to because it's something I think Ghana doesn't do a good enough job of. From a customer service experience, Ghana should be doing so much better. Given how we are culturally at home and so on, you would expect that customer service would be great. But Time in, time out, you find that that's not what you see um, engaging um, in Ghana. And that's one of the things we wanted to, to fix. And I think um, it's not done, but something we continue to do. And kudos to our team, because they have to also be open to take the feedback, understand the rationale, take it on and improve. And I always have to remind people that we exist. We're being paid because of our customers, because our customers are using our service. Right. If they are not, or you're not giving them service, they have a problem with a transaction, you piss them off and they go away. How do you expect the business to continue to generate revenue and continue to pay your salary? So it's even in your own self-interest to offer good service to the person on the other end of the line. And it's a continuous thing. Um, and we want to continue to improve and continue to, to be seen as a, a strong business from a customer experience perspective. To be honest, we believe that it's one of the things that sets our product apart. Outside the technology um, and the reliability and so on you see is the fact that when someone has a problem with express pay, they know they don't have to worry. We will chase down the, the business on the other end to make sure we resolve it. We'll chase down the bank that has the problem to make sure we resolve it, to make sure if there's an issue with your money, you're getting your money back. And so one of the reasons people use our platforms versus some of the other direct platforms, because they know when they have an issue, we do the work to make sure uh, it gets resolved for the customer. 
And and that is one thing that we we totally appreciate about the service. Now, move, moving quite away from that, um, the fintech space has been has been growing steadily, and you know what? I'm not even going to call it steadily. It's been going pretty fast, um, you know, in Ghana. I, I just I just wonder what you know what your 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 sense of appreciation of the speed at which we are moving um, in terms of everything from policy to the players within the industry, to the train, the changes that are happening on almost a daily basis. From where you sit, you know, how, how does it all, how does it all come to you? It's awesome. And we are fortunate to be in the space we are in. We are fortunate to have chosen the industry we are in and we need to make sure we continue to deliver. It's a very exciting time. Um, and it's also based on the efforts of several players in the industry. Uh, think of mobile money, think of what MTN has done, Etel Tigo, Vodafone Cash, think about the banks picking up, uh, improving their systems and so on, making sure people have cards uh, that are more reliable and they can transact with. It's been an industry effort and it's been exciting. It's been exciting to see government also come on, sort of added support in terms of trying to drive cashless transactions, trying to support digital transactions. It's been a great confluence of factors that has put us where we are. Uh, granted, the pandemic also made a lot of people globally realize that they had to accelerate the adoption of these digital solutions, digital channels. But you know, there's been a lot of efforts pushing financial inclusion for a long time. And so you had the financial inclusion drive and now pan the pandemic is even showing that this is more of a necessity than a nice to have. So it's great for the industry. It's great for companies, other fintech companies in Ghana, and other fintech companies in Africa as a whole, I'm sure you've seen what's happening with some of our, our friends in some other markets having amazing exits out of their businesses um, with a lot of interest coming in from Western companies who are realizing that, wow, there is something here on the continent and they need to sort of come in and, and get involved. So I think it's a very exciting time. Um, we anticipate that we are going to continue to see the growth as a lot of people are moving away from cash and, and moving on to digital platforms. Um, we are, for us as well, we are looking at not just Ghana, but going into some other markets because same problems we are, we are trying to solve across uh, geographies. And so we, we think it's very exciting time for the markets and um, we need to make sure we continue to innovate, uh, continue to think ahead of what types of solutions will be relevant? What is the next step? What is the next level that would make these solutions more meaningful for our customers, right? At some point, some of the solutions we have will become commoditized because a lot of people offer them. But as fintechs, you're nimble, you're quick. There are a lot of other innovative solutions you can layer on top of, of your services that will blow customers' minds away. Uh, for us, we, we usually like to be customer-led as well where we take a lot of feedback from customers and we listen to our customers to understand sort of what are they asking for? Uh, what's the next thing they are clamoring for, they want to see? And then we try and put some efforts in there and come up with products that work. It's a very exciting time for the, for the ecosystem. Um, and we anticipate that that's going to continue to grow. Now, I, I, have, I have two questions that I wanted to bunch together. The, the first one has to be, what are the lessons that you've picked up dealing with government and policymakers within the fintech space over the period? That's the first one. The second one is I get the sense that you, as a business and as a business owner, 
Your priority is more with the quality of the service than necessarily the expansion of the reach. Or do the two go hand in hand? If you can address those two for me. Okay, so the first was in terms of my thoughts on government, government policy and so on. Um, I think government has been quite progressive on digitization. And I think it's key. I think um, a country like Ghana is very capable of, do, of, of taking this leap to digitize solutions. And it's about time we did it. I've always sort of pushed government when we've had sessions like this to say that the way to support local businesses is to give local businesses contracts. Um, there are lots of tech solutions that government uses across various government agencies. Uh, lots of solutions tend to go to foreign firms. Uh, at the very least, local companies should be involved or should participate in some of those um, conversations, right? Where they, they are given a chunk of the contracts to try and develop a solution for whichever government agency. I think we are starting to see that happen more and more, which I would say is a good thing. Um, essentially, if we want to grow the ecosystem, government has to support that as well. And so when we hear about digitization, I think it's positive. The balance is trying to make sure local companies, tech companies are going along as well, are joining that, that bandwagon, and we are growing together as an ecosystem, not just for the businesses, but even for jobs and for building the expertise, building the skill sets, right? Creating employment opportunities. All these tech graduates, technology graduates, or computer science engineers, because we are talking about MySpace in particular, you want to give them opportunities where they are growing and developing their skill sets, right? And we have all these things we need to solve for. So if we can create these opportunities and continue to support them, I think it's a step in the right direction. We are starting to see that happen and we want to see more of it. And so I'm, I'm all for that. From a policy perspective, you know, the industry has changed a bit. There's been um, the bill that was passed on, uh, on payment systems and uh, BOG now regulating the FinTech space um, has also brought some more organization within the sector. I love the fact that the regulator was inclusive in the conversations and involved several technology companies. You know, the Chamber of Technology as well was very involved in discussions with Bank of Ghana uh, before the regulations were put out. And it's a continuous dialogue. Again, this is not something just set and then you are done, but we continue to engage them as well uh, as a sector to make sure that the policies we have in place make sense for the sector and works for us. Obviously, you won't get everything, right? There'll be times where we may disagree with the regulator. As entrepreneur, entrepreneurial people and um, technologists, we tend to be on the extreme end of pushing the envelope. And your regulator's conservative wants to protect, make sure everything is kosher. So you still need to have some sort of balance because the, you need a room to innovate and you want to encourage the innovation, but within something that makes sense. And so I think Bank of Ghana has been very thoughtful about trying to find that fine balance. And as long as their doors remain open, we are going to continue to have a thriving ecosystem. So I think that's good um, for the sector from a government perspective. Um, if you don't have a quality service, regardless of where you go, you're not going to have a business. So you, your core has to be strong and your product has to be good. Your product has to make sense. It has to solve a need. It has to meet a need, rather. It has to meet a need for your customers. So I think that's paramount. That's number one. But I would say we are gearing up to actually go to some other markets. Um, I've said in the past, technology is borderless. I would say, you know, asking about maybe lessons, looking back and so on. 
I may, I would argue that we could have probably expanded sooner than we have, uh, or than we are planning to. I think we are probably in a position where we could have been in a lot more jurisdictions, um, but we had other focuses as well, and we chased certain opportunities, which is why it's now coming, but it is coming. And I think as a growing business, you need to put yourself in a position to really take advantage of the opportunities out there, right? So you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself and think, okay, I'm in Ghana, I'm Ghanaian, so I'm stuck uh, here just offering solutions here. You need to position the business on a strong footing so you can go to those other markets. And in going to that, that those other markets is also not a trivial step. Um, I, I would say for us, we, we want to make sure we're being strategic about it. Some people with the expansion is opportunistic and sometimes you can be lucky. Right, there could be some amazing opportunity in, say, Tanzania, that could triple, quadruple your business. You can be in a lucky position and get that, and that's opportunistic. In other cases, you may have to be deliberate and strategic about it. Which countries are you going to? When are you going to those countries? Um, what um, solutions are you providing in those countries? And I think we are trying to apply that discipline in our expansionary efforts. But we are gearing up to get Express Pay into some other markets. But even within Ghana. You notice that even in this conversation, we focus largely on the Express Pay app, uh, largely because we are thinking about a consumer business. But even within Ghana, we've expanded our product set. Um, even from a channel perspective, you know, we released a USSD channel as well to try and get into the mass market space. So star 246 hash is our USSD code where you can access various services on Express Pay. Uh, we've opened up remittances. So people from the UK can transfer funds into directly to consumers in Ghana. And on the merchant side, Philip, you may have interacted with this, not sure yet, but we have um, lots of smart POSs in the market um, where consumers can now pay at a, say, um, a total fitting station or a shelf fitting station. And the device they are paying on, the application they are paying with is actually an Express Pay application. And it's quite cool because not only does it do your traditional POS um, payments, but it enables mobile money, enables QR payments as well, and actually enables the merchants to be able to vend other services, right? So you think you're almost coming full circle where we started out, you could be in your room or in your office and pay for a service with Express Pay. Now we're expanding that so you could go to a corner shop and pay your broadband bill and it will be over Express Pay. So those are also solutions we are putting out there in addition to QR solutions uh, out there so people can go um, cashless as well. You show up at the shop, uh, you don't have cash, all you need is your phone, you make a payment, you're good to go. So even within Ghana, as much as we focused on quality of service, we've also expanded sort of the product sets uh, we have locally. And now we have a breadth of products and when I talk about expanding, with that breadth of products, even when you're going to these other markets, you have to think about what are you going with. Um, you can do all of it because it becomes a function of the investment, right? You may have a fixed amount of investment dollars you need to spend. So you have to think smartly about uh, what will give you the best uh, bang for your buck. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 54 Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend.
indeed indeed i mean i mean it's 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 totally understandable as well but i mean from where you sit from a personal point of view i'm just going to ask a couple of personal questions within the space within the fintech space are there some are there some solutions that really caught your eye that didn't quite make it that you know were, were kind of exciting right from the beginning but you know just just couldn't get over the line were there any solutions i mean Look, if it's not even within the fintech space necessarily, within Ghana, within the Ghana tech ecosystem, have there been any solutions that have caught your eye that, you know, you just felt could could have worked, but then eventually didn't really work out? So that's a tough one for them because you're telling me to to say someone's business has essentially died. (laughs) 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 But um, what I would say is, um, it's interesting, but timing of a product is important sometimes. And it's from that perspective, I'll call that luck, right? Because someone may have an exciting solution, which they may have introduced 15 years ago, but it didn't take off. But maybe 10 years later, it would have just shot through the roof, right? And so that you can't really predict. I think there are lots of... Um, exciting products out there that people are still working on. I don't think people have necessarily given up on on them. So it's hard to sort of put a lid on them. I think people are still pushing several of these um, so these tech solutions, right? Where it's, it's hard to figure out why maybe it didn't take off. Maybe the conditions of the markets were not right at the time. People's psyche wasn't where you needed them to be to be able to adopt that solution or embrace that solution. It could be some other external factor that came in and precipitated something that made people rush to it, especially solutions that go viral. Nobody knows why something goes viral. If I asked you to create something for me that would be viral, you, you, you can't guarantee that it would be viral, right? So things like that, I think, are hard to, 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 to put together. But what I was suggesting was that several people are still working on various solutions. And even within companies, you will pivot. Right, you may have solutions um, you start with, and at some point realize that okay, I spent too much time on this and it's not giving me the traction I wanted. So I need to tweak the idea a little bit. And I think you're going to continue to see various people do that. Uh, that's what you should do um, as a smart business, right? To try and figure out at which point maybe a particular idea is not viable, and then you should shift your focus to to something to something else. I think for the solutions we, we kind of know are not doing as well, it would be unfair of me to kind of put them out there because I don't think the people have necessarily given up. They are still pushing, still trying to figure out what that pivot may be or what else they need to put in that business to make it turn around. So off the top of my head, nothing is coming to mind straight away where I can, I can uh, kill it off right away. One thing maybe... <laughs> Yeah, one thing maybe, and it's not necessarily killed off, is the crypto space. All right, lots right. of people try to right. get into the crypto space, but we all know it's because our regulator said we should stay away from it, and so that sort of held a lot of us back from uh, going full throttle into that space. But in that crypto uh, space, and I know regulators around the globe are still grappling with what the level of comfort is or should be um, so we don't miss a potential opportunity for a super innovative solution, uh, but we also don't put everyone at risk. I know it's a tough, that one is beyond me, but it's a tough uh, problem lots of 
regulators globally are trying to figure out how to address. But lots of people try to come up with very cool solutions around crypto. Uh, we also had stuff in our pipeline and so on, but obviously we couldn't push anything out. And so in the crypto space, people have had all sorts of different ideas um, and they may still come, right? It's more about working to figure out what may make sense for our particular ecosystem um, and allow us to maybe test it out without jeopardizing any systems, jeopardizing anyone, uh, jeopardizing people's fortunes. So that one is an easy one where crypto, I think there've been lots of cool solutions, but um, everyone has had to sort of put a lid on it for now. But I think for Ghana, I've seen that in some other markets as well. So that's a yeah. neutral, a way to give you a response in a neutral manner. <laughs> Specific companies I can't mention. <laughs> and, and very well navigated as well. But I mean, um, you know, I might be pushing it, but if I may just ask, which kind, which, which, which areas are you looking at getting into? Which countries are you looking at getting into um, within, you know, the next couple of years? You did mention that you are looking at some territories, but are there any specifics you'd like to share with us? So we are still trying to pinpoint, you know, the way I put it, it's which countries, which timing, which products. We are still trying to pinpoint that may figure out that matrix and what it's going to end up looking like. I'd say a couple of countries we are thinking, we are thinking Rwanda could be very interesting um, in terms of the ease of getting into the market. Um, so we are, that's also something we're taking into account. What are the other regulatory requirements for what we do? Um, are there capital requirements? How much cash do you need to put down to be able to participate in that market? These are all considerations we have to take into account before we can turn on our services or show up there doing business there. Um, we are still assessing but Rwanda is one of the ones I think uh, we, we're kind of thinking it should be one of the first. But a lot of the others, we are still trying to, um, uh, to figure out. Uh, but the other thing we're also trying to understand better is after and what the implications are, right? Because we are touting as this brilliant solution to make it easy for businesses to operate across the continents, which I love the concept. But from a tech perspective, from a payments perspective, there is a bit of a disconnect. And I'll tell you, I'm still trying to understand the full um, elements of after and what it allows you to do and doesn't allow you to do. We are still, my team is still trying to understand what that means. Um, but generally, we are getting a sense that there's still a bit of a disconnect. Even though you have this, your regulations and your laws may say otherwise, right? And if countries haven't want to change their laws or their regulations, then it doesn't really give you the option to just show up and, and start to conduct business. So that's also an interesting area, but I think as businesses here and across the African continent, we also be paying attention to it because the concept is a brilliant one uh, to start to increase the size of our market. So imagine instead of us uh, having, if we could only be in Ghana, if we instead of having a, a business that served 30 million people, you now have a business that can serve a billion plus people. That is awesome because it can now create opportunity for us to start to grow up companies like the likes of companies in China and India based on the size of the population they can, they can access. And so it's very exciting if we can figure out how to navigate it um, uh, for the continent. And I think it will help us as well, even in terms of creating employment opportunities um, across various geographies. I think all in all, will be moving us in the right direction. And I, I specify the continent, but in truth, there's no reason we should be restricted to Africa. 
is technology. If the solution you have would work in South America or work in Asia or work in the US, wherever, we should be able to take it there too. And you know, for instance, I mentioned- And, and, and I mean, you, you, have, you have taken it there in, in more ways than one, you know, with, you know, with the, the whole, um, the pound thing. I don't know if you can shed some light on that real quick before we wrap up. Yes, on the remittance. Yes. So we actually have, um, and there we had to engage our regulators as well, the Financial Conduct Authority. And so we have opened up the corridor for people in the UK uh, to send money to anyone in Ghana instantly into their mobile money account or into a bank account. And at the moment, we're running a promo, which is quite exciting. If someone sends you at least £100, uh, you get an extra £10 uh, from, from us. And so very exciting. Uh, we are actually looking to open that up from the UK to other countries as we expand as well. And then we will think about what we do on the origination side, whether we want to add other uh, territories as well. But at the moment, we, it's for UK to Ghana. Now, I need to make one uh, point of, um, I need to make one, one other thing clear. People globally can use Express Pay. So you can buy credits, you can pay bills and so on, but it's just money transfer that tends to be restricted. And with money transfer, we need to get that regulatory approval uh, in a lot of jurisdictions before we can open it up. But people in the UK, US, all over the place still buy credits with express pay or uh, pay electricity bills for their families here or pay for internet for their families here and so on. That clarification is, 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 is always very, very important. Curtis, thank you so much for, for, for your time with us. Any final words before you take leave of us? I want to say to our customers that are listening in, uh, thank you very much for supporting us. Thank you very much for embracing our service. Um, and we're going to continue to strive to bring out uh, the best in ourselves so we can serve you uh, better. For those who haven't tried Express Pay, uh, download our app, try it out. It's the best service in the country, hands down. Um, if you don't have data and don't want to try the app, uh, or can't try the app, try our USSD channel as well, star 246 hash, and you can get access to the awesome service we also deliver. And thank you very much, Philip, for, for, hosting, for hosting me and for continuing to support our ecosystem with these conversations. I mean, they are critical conversations, especially when you're giving away 10 pounds for free. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Curtis, um, for, 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 for the conversation. I really appreciate it. And all the very best as well. Um, over the course of the year. I know the COVID, COVID, you know, had its ups and downs, but you guys stuck to the vision and we appreciate all the work that you do. Um, well, listeners, it's it's been a pleasure coming your way with um, this particular conversation. Curtis, thank you so much once again for the session. Thank you for having me. Today. Well, after that riveting conversation with Curtis Vanderpoy of Extra Spay, we don't have too much time on the show today, but I have just a bit of time to get into the training segment of the show. And, well, what can we say? One of the phones that we reviewed heavily on the show was the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra. And it so happens that it has won the best mobile device at the... Um, 
the Global Mobile um, Congress, which happened in um, Barcelona. And yesterday, the announcement was made. So I decided to catch up with my Samsung folks and find out exactly how the team feels about it. And um, Benjamin happens to be one of the guys who um, helps us with the reviews of some of the devices that we have. Ben, how does it feel hearing about the announcement? Uh, hi, Philip. It feels great. Uh, to be able to bring to the world uh, one of the best smartphones and uh, to be adjudged number one in uh, mobile device um, quality uh, globally. And Samsung, we've always been at the forefront of innovation. And so we constantly strive to bring to our consumers the best in technology. And, and one of the things that I also really like about the Ultra is, you know, the ability to sometimes stream content and watch content as well. Um, what's the latest with, with, with that side of town? Uh, in terms of content, of course, it's not only about mobile phones, also about television. And for the first time this year, uh, Samsung, in collaboration with our partners from HD+, will be able to bring to Ghanaians the first 4K broadcast, not only in Ghana, but also in Africa. Wait, so we are actually going to start being able to watch 4K content on our television screens? Yes, Philip. Yes, for the first time. And uh, starting from tonight uh, with the Euro 2020 uh, semi-final match, we will be able to broadcast in 4K. Well, I mean, right about now, I'm sure the game the game probably is over. So what you mean is that tomorrow, if someone wants to watch the second semi-final game, they will actually be able to watch it in full 4K quality. Yes. From tomorrow, yes, they can watch it in full 4K picture quality. Wow. So for those who have actually watched um, the first game, I'm sure those of you who have Samsung devices probably have experienced it already. But... I mean, I'm kind of wondering how exactly that's going to work. So let me let me see if I can touch base quickly with the HD Plus team and find out exactly how that process is. So quick introductions and then tell us how we can, for once and for the first time, enjoy streaming of 4K content on our TVs right here in Accra, in Tamale, in wherever it is that we're located. Great. Hi, uh, Philip. Thanks for... Uh this doing this my name is uh, theodore asampo i'm the ceo of uh, hd plus the 4k is starting tonight we are showing the first semi-final i think between italy and spain tonight with samsung we've introduced in the samsung tv a kind of key that allows you to use a samsung tv without a decoder to catch these hd plus channels and because the tvs are 4k we've taken the opportunity to also have a 4K channel. So if you, if once you've gone through the setup, channel 100 will be the HD Plus 4K event channel. And that's where you catch the 4K, the Euro 2020 in 4K. Yes. For, for, the first for, time. for the first time, as Benjamin said, in Ghana and in Africa. For the uninitiated, how walk us through the process real quick about how people can actually get to enjoy that 4K experience. Right. Okay, so plug in your satellite connection from the multi-TV satellite or an SES, it's actually an SES satellite at 28.2, and you follow, through, you follow the activation, you activate the box, and you get the HD channels. For the 4K, you need to get a Samsung TV, I think the 2020 model, uh, the QLED or the crystal. You go to the, the app store of Samsung, you press the home button, you go to the app store of, the, of Samsung, and you search for HD+. 
You download this app. So yes, you need a connection to the internet just for this process. You download the app, you follow the instructions to install the app on your phone. Once you're done, once you're done, yes, you activate the, um, the, the HG Plus number and you're ready to go. You get about 10 to, to 12 channels of HD channels. And then you can also get a 4K channel on your TV. And all of this is done, you receive all of this through the satellite, not the internet. So you're not burning data. The data is only for you to download the app and activate it. After that, you can disconnect the data. And once you're connected to the satellite, the same satellite multi-TV is on, you can receive all these channels onto your TV without the need of the decoder. Ben, what does this mean for people who enjoy high-quality content in Ghana? Okay, so um, Philip, in the past, the challenge you've had uh, with being able to show 4K or 8K quality in, uh, in Africa was uh, when it comes to data and the cost of data and the bandwidth. So the challenge was that people couldn't stream in 4K because it will cost more to do so. And also, if the internet speed is quite low, it will buffer and you don't get to enjoy the quality you're looking for. That is why our partnership with SES HD Plus is actually a game changer because not only are we bringing 4K broadcast, but then it doesn't cost much to be able to view and enjoy 4K. And that is what we are trying to bring. Absolutely. Well, and that is how we will wrap up on the show today. Um, it's been a worthwhile conversation having talks about fintechs and the trends therein. And now you at home can watch 4K quality content by just owning a Samsung TV and having an HD Plus connection to go alongside it. It's that simple and it's that easy. Lots and lots happening within the space. But then that is where we draw the curtain down on the show today. My name is Philip Sean. The show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow morning. So make sure you look out for it. A big thank you to all my guests on the show, especially Curtis Vanderpoy of Express Pay. Till next week, stay techie.